One likes film, the other TV. Together, they chronicle life in the peak entertainment era. It's a streamable life. Hello, hello, and welcome to the final episode of Is This Room for Life podcast for 2020. We have a lot in store for you this episode. In addition to our normal segments like Streams of the Week and our NOT, we will be recapping this year and the best, worst, and our favorite moments of TV and film in 2020. Um, mm-hmm. How was your weekend? Uh, pretty good. Had a pretty uh, basic Christmas, you know, it didn't do too much because obviously we can't, but um, no, it was good. Just kind of hung out and and relaxed. So, yeah. yeah, same, same, very yeah. un, un-Christmas-like Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even waking up on uh, Christmas Day was kind of just like, huh, that's, it, it didn't feel like Christmas. <laughs> yeah, not at all, not at all. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get to our recap of the year, we'll start with our segments here. First up is streams of the week. The best things we've been watching or maybe the worst things in the last uh, week. Excuse me. Okay. Um, So I'll I'll do this first. I think we both watched (laughs) Wonder Woman 1984. Yes, we did. HBO Max. And... um, I think, I don't think my expectations were really high. I was just expecting, you know, another decent addition in the trilogy. Yeah. And I guess for me, it sort of missed, missed the mark. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, like I told you, I hadn't, I didn't see the first one. And um, you said that I didn't need to for this one to really make that much sense. But it, uh, I don't know, it was... I just wasn't really with it. Yeah. Um, and I, I've been listening to other people's critiques and listen to a podcast today, talk, touch on it, and all of them liked it. Um, and I guess when you think about it this way, they said that their aim was to uh, make a movie as if they were in the 80s. So I guess it was like Wonder Woman 84 literally means like, their goal was to like make a movie as if it was a Wonder Woman happening in the eighties. Oh, okay. So, like the like that mall scene and yeah, yeah, just some other like sort of fantastic that third act, like how like huge all the wishes got and everything. I guess it was supposed to like resemble sort of like the crazy wackiness of eighty films, but. Yeah. That's not what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting like some type of satirical tongue-in-cheek take. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was it was all right. First of all, it was, it was too long. It was way too long. Yes. And um, yeah, I just kind of got lost in the story. And it, 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 it was like, it wasn't unlike anything we had seen before. You know what I mean? It was very mm-hmm. cliche in a way, so... Yeah, and um, I, I heard someone um, in Clubhouse, I'm on that app, yeah. speak on how she, uh, she sort of saw the, she, she watched the film and saw who, was, who wrote the film, and from her indication, she figured the studio had more influence on this sequel 
than the first. Because the first one, I think they really let Patty Jenkins just sort of take the reins as director. Yeah. In this this installment, there was definitely some more influence from the studio on which way to go. So that's why I could see that. Yeah. You know, certain things are are felt a little disjointed. But on a positive note, I did enjoy Pedro Pascal. I thought he did good with what he had. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I mean, a, a sequ- at least two more sequels are coming. I know the third one's already been greenlit um, from Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot returning as Wonder Woman. So hopefully that's an improvement. Right. Um, did you happen to see Soul? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay. It, it was pretty good. Um, there's been some valid critiques um, about part of the story, but overall, I thought it was pretty decent. Um, it's definitely, the messaging is definitely a little heightened um, for kids, I would say. It's, it's definitely more uh, adult, not adult theme, but better suited for older yeah older kids like the themes sort of would go over children's heads but i thought it was pretty decent all right that's good yeah so i saw a lot of people kind of say the same thing that the the message that they came away with from the film was was definitely it it seemed like it was for adults yeah it's, it's a pretty powerful message um yeah and and other than that i finished uh both seasons of harley quinn so I'm just waiting on season three. That's on HBO Max. Um, hilarious show. Really yeah. well done. Um, that's the thing. Like, DC has it on lock on their animated yeah. material from Teen Titans to, to Teen Titans Go to just yeah. Lee. Like, all their animation is pretty solid. It's just when you get to live action films, it just doesn't trip yeah. up. I'm not sure why. And then I finished season one of Snowfall, so I'm, oh, okay. I'm trying to aim. My aim is to finish season two this week and season three the next week, and season four drops uh, February 25th, so All I right. should, be, should be ready, and that's on FX on Hulu. Awesome. All right. Um, so I mostly watch movies, and I caught up on some movies I needed to. Um, these are in no particular order. I thought they are all pretty good. But one I watched was uh, a movie called Force Majeure. And it's a movie about a family that goes to a skiing resort. And um, an avalanche happens. But the avalanche is, how would I say this? The, the avalanche is planned. It's help, They do that to help break up the snow. But this avalanche sets off um, like a chain of events with this, within this family. Because the dad, when the avalanche hits, he takes off. He just dips, and he leaves his kids and yeah, he leaves his kids and his wife behind. And it's it's a comedy. It's kind of dark, but yeah, it was really good. Um, I finally watched Uncut Gems. I know I'm late on that, but that that was fun. That was a crazy ride. Yeah, the anxiety and and everybody was good. In it. You know, Adam Sandler was at his best. My goodness, he was yeah, that was crazy. Even Kevin Garnett, you know, he was good. Yeah, that's what really impressed me. Like, I know he's playing himself, but Right, right. The way they captured that year, it just felt so natural. Right, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I watched the controversial um, Cuties from earlier this year. And it was decent. When you, when you, you know, if you go into it not thinking about 
how everybody was, you know, all in a, a, a tizzy about the the what was happening. The girls were in the clothes and dancing. There's definitely a message behind it of how we almost impose that on you know girls and and young people in general. But it it was really pretty good and uh, just talking about different religions and everything and um, yeah, I enjoyed it. So okay, yeah. All right, we'll move from our streams of the week to our no concession. So what movie are you recommending this week we check out? Okay, this movie um, is, the movie I'm, I'm gonna recommend is Loving Vincent and it came out in 2017. And uh, it follows um, Vincent Van Gogh after, it's like a, it takes place like a year after his suicide and um, they're just kind of, there's this guy that finds the death suspicious and everything and you kind of get into his life and there's letters involved but the big thing about this you may remember it from the oscars that year is that this entire film is made up of paintings like it's their paintings and they're you know moving i can't remember how many paintings there were involved in this film but it's it's really good it's okay there's 125 painters that helped to make this film so um and i think it's i can't remember how many paintings and photographs they did but um it was really good the soundtrack was good the uh, the score i guess i should say and um of the notable voices of the characters you had shisha ronan and chris o'dowd and uh it won an award in europe for the best animated feature film and that's what it was nominated for here at our Oscars was best um, animated film. And uh, you can watch it on Hulu. And I think it's just right under an hour and a half. So it's, it's good. It's okay, worth it. Cool. cool. I do remember hearing about that, but I totally forgot about it. Yeah. Yeah. So did, so did I. And then I saw it and I was like, oh, it just kind of came back to me and then boop. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Um, that concludes our no concessions. We'll get into our not segment here. Um, we had the last two episodes of season two of his Dark Materials, yes. and um, it's already been official that a final third season will be coming sometime in the future. Um, so uh, we can expect the final chapter, I guess, in HBO's um, adaptation of Philip Pullman's stories here. Um, so the finale, and just first, just let's talk about the. The final two episodes we had yeah. malice and ashitor yeah I, I can't even say that word but yeah Something like that um what did you think of the these two episodes i thought they were good um there was an you know they've been teasing this war or whatever and i thought that's what the two episodes would be but um even without it being super action-packed it was it kept you engaged and mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, these two seasons, they've been teasing us with the witches, and now we finally get two episodes focused on them, and it's well worth the wait. They are, yeah. They're some of the best characters in the show. Yeah, they're definitely definitely worth um, worth the wait. Very interesting. Powerful, yeah. but still culpable right, um, right. to the ways of the world instead of, like, being sort of almighty. And I think that goes for, like, all the characters. Yeah, yeah. You see how, like, we we can lose them. They are human. Like there's no right. one that's just extraordinarily more powerful than anyone else. Right. Exactly. Um, 
I thought the episodes were good. I really liked how the story came together near the end, how everyone sort of, everyone's paths sort of crossed. Yeah. I really loved how um, they handled the scholar when she comes to the other world and just how, just her, like her essence. I yeah, guess. she's she's like a... All this goodness. <laughs> yeah, in this in this world of dark. And that, that was, when she was on that beach, that was an angel behind her, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay, because I thought I was seeing stuff or something was wrong with my television, but yeah. Yeah, like her relationship to to Dust, which, I mean, we've learned that are now angels. She's yeah. sort of like this, um, just saying, like the way she helped the sisters and yeah, and they said they were, will protect her, so we'll see what's to come for her. Yeah. Um, I did have a question how we've always wondered about uh, Miss Coulter's sort of makeup, I guess. Yeah. So how is she controlling the specters? Like how? I, I don't know. I don't know if she, I don't think she's a witch. I just think maybe she's, Maybe she's just a badass. I don't. I don't think she has super. I don't think she has super natural powers. I'm. I'm not sure. Maybe she's just. I, is it is it something that she doesn't fear them or like? Yeah, and that's kind of what I took it as. It's kind of like first of all, I keep comparing them to the Dementors and Harry Potter because that's what they remind me of. Yeah, I, and, I almost said Dementors. Yeah, in the same way, that was like you know, if you don't react to them, you know, they right. don't harm you. So, I don't know. She sort of like stood her ground and they sort of just beckoned her call. Yeah. So, maybe she's just evil. Yeah, that too. It could yeah. be just something off. Um, yeah. Um, we said goodbye to a couple of people in the season finale. Um, Lee, Lemon, well, Miranda's character um, sacrificed himself to protect Lyra, which, I mean, he always said. Yeah, he would. He would. And then we also lost um, Will's father, played by Andrew Scott. So Yeah. He wasn't in it very long. Not at all. Not at all. He just kind of played his part um, real quick. Um, so the, the final episode, the last moments, we, we now know who Lyra, who the prophecy says Lyra is. She's this Eve being um, the mother of them all who sort of will bring on this new destiny or this new kind of world, yeah. A yeah, new world. world, yeah. Free will for everyone. Right. Um, so they must protect her for this to accomplish. And um, after all this, you know, the magisterium is on the tail of Lee and what's Will's dad's name? <laughs> Oh, I can't even remember. But yeah. Um, it's Joe, Joba something, yeah. Yeah. The master was on their tail. They end up there. They they kill his father. And Will sort of takes on, you know, finally walks in his purpose. But as he's having this final conversation um, with his father, Lyra is kidnapped by her mother, Miss Coulter. Mm-hmm. And who knows where they're going. Yeah. Um, and then the witches finally you know know what they have to do to win this war. They must 
find Azrael and basically team up with him, mm-hmm. fight the authority. Because Azrael's not just going against the Magisterium, he's going against like the whole, yeah, I guess like everything bad, everything, yeah, that they know of that world to sort of tear it down. Um, and then did you catch the credits, post credit scene? Oh, no. God, I always do that. No, I didn't see it. Oh, there's like, um, I don't know why the credits were running. I think I was up doing something. Um, but mid-credits scene, we hear Lyra's voice, and it's dark. Because I don't know where Miss Coulter's taking her. Yeah. But she wakes up, and she goes, Roger? And Roger's there. So I don't know where she's taking them, but it's like some dark... Ominous place, and then it went back to black. So I don't know if if those children they sacrificed, if they're beings or just like in some type of other world. Yeah. Or what? But yeah. It should be. It's gonna be a good season whenever it comes back. Yeah, because they really snuck this one by. Yeah. Um, even despite COVID, but we only got one scene with, uh, what's his name? James McAvoy. Yeah, James McAvoy because of COVID. Like, he wasn't yeah. able to travel to, to tape, to film. Yeah. So This man, he he really was. He The whole season, he came in the last episode for, like, three minutes. Yeah, because everyone's like, where's Azriel? And it's like, yeah. well, I don't know. And well, there he was. So it really helped um bring the seasons together yeah it did yeah yeah so i'm guessing season three will definitely be war heavy which whatever that war looks like yeah um and i i wonder if they'll do the because you know it's a partner with hbo and a british um company i wonder if they do a thing and give us like a five episode season or something yeah something epic i don't know yeah We'll have to see. Just out the way, yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll return with our feature presentation right after this message. And we're back with our best of 2020. It's been one hell of a year. Definitely something unforeseen in the TV and film space. Um, Everything was affected by um, the pandemic in one way or another. And um, yeah, TV sort of, entertainment became sort of a saving grace for a lot of people, even though the risks were there for those, you know, actors, crew members, whatever, to deliver um, what they did this year. So kudos to all of them. Um, and hopefully, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but um, hopefully they take the best steps forward to to make sure things are around beyond 2020 and 2020. Yeah. Because LA is looking very, very uh, bad. Yeah. But um, we want to look back on on the best of, and first uh, we'll uh, cover some of the water cooler moments um, of 2020 stories and moments we felt defined the year, whether um, <clears throat> it was the HBO Max film release slate or the grand opening closing of Quibi. <laughs> um, uh-huh. 
just sort of the things that we think sort of define 2020 from TV and film. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. This could be headlines, this could be story moments in episodes, whatever, whatever you think sort of stood out this year. Mm. Uh, well, the first one I have happened at the beginning of the year, and I think it was, it was before everything hit because it was in February, but it was just the way the um, Parasite and the way that it swept at the Oscars and just, I thought, you know, it, 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 it deserved. I think it was like one of the first films in a while that deserved everything that it won and it deserved probably more than it was nominated for. Definitely. It's, it's hard to remember that for two months we were without COVID and right. the Oscars happened and that was a huge moment yeah. um, for Parasite. It, it definitely deserved more. Some acting nods definitely should have been afforded right. pass, but that was a different story. So yeah, my first one's also from earlier this year. Um, I totally forgot Insecure's fourth season mm. was this year. And um, a big water cooler moment I thought was the pregnancy of the character Condola on the show because um, we had uh, this great reunion between uh, Issa and Lawrence after their breakup and everything's going smoothly and then his ex winds up pregnant and it basically, fans were irate. They called this woman everything but her name. <laughs> Not anything bad, but like her name yeah, is Condola, yeah. but they called her condolences. They called her uh just anything but her name but what sounded like her name so that was one of the big moments uh for me earlier this year that i totally forgot about <laughs> yeah oh god there's so many i forgot about um i think another thing um that happened that um was unfortunate was a lot of prominent celebrities died this year like just throughout the year yeah that was and, very eerie yeah, and uh, so, I mean, can't name all of them because some of them were COVID related, but you know, you had the big ones like Chadwick Boseman and, um, oh my God, his name is skipping my mind right now. Jeopardy, Alex Trebek. Alex Trebek, yeah. Um, and I know, I know there's more, but it, it just felt like every few weeks you'd hear about another celebrity that was maybe not, what's the... The like big big names, but it's like oh they were in this, and then bam you hear you know they died of COVID. It's like Jesus. Yeah, and that really started with the passing of Kobe Bryant and yeah. See, yeah, like I don't know how how I forgot about that. Yeah, it's it's so it really it really feels like another time. I don't know why, but yeah, yeah it that, does. That news of Kobe broke like weeks before the Grammys and. I think we were, everyone was just stuck. Everyone was just like, how? Like, this doesn't make sense. Right. And since then, like, like you said, just like the most, not random celebrities, but just people you were so familiar with just gone, like either with COVID or just old age, but they're not, you know, you don't think, you don't really think of them as, oh, like Sean Connery, like. Right. No one ever thought he'd be gone. And yeah. Granted, he wasn't like in movies and stuff like that, but you just, 
it's not someone you think of passing away. Yeah. So yeah, it was very, very strange. Yeah. Yeah. Celebrity deaths this year were, were just unfathomable um, from all walks of life. Like, right. Yeah. Um, another water moment I had was um, from Amazon's The Boys. Um, basically, when you learn the truth about Stormfront without spoiling anything, that sort of shook, um, shook, shook fans hmm. um, because given the climate of this year and the last four years of our politics and everything, her storyline was definitely one that resonated with our political climate and sort of the insidiousness that, that we was lurking underneath the shadows, but other people just wanted to ignore right for the longest time so um yeah hmm. okay um yeah i gotta watch that show i heard nothing but good things about it. i just haven't started yeah it's crazy hmm. um let's see what else um just a like they weren't entertainment things but natural things we had the fires out west and in australia that burned up so and you know quickly mentioned that um but then um we we saw justice and harvey weinstein going to jail right and that was a huge thing um huge you know after all the years of him wreaking havoc against women in hollywood and new york and all across this country he finally got what he deserved and um, it, I, I don't know if I wouldn't say there was like a it, it felt like a collective sigh of relief it, it was like oh wow you know okay yeah. for the first time something's gone right yeah and yeah. was was that who a documentary this year uh, about him I don't know now I can't remember. I remember watching it, but I have no yeah. idea if it was this year or... Okay. I think it... What do you say? It says 2019. Oh, okay. But I don't know if I watched it this year. I have no idea. Because I know they did the, whatchamacallit, the... Um, oh, it was like the R. Kelly one, but it was for... Right. Jeffrey right. Epstein. Yeah. Yeah, on Lifetime, so... Yeah. And like you said, like... Harvey Weinstein, R. Kelly finally was taken into yeah. custody um, this year because the second half of the R. Kelly documentary came out early January. Right, right. And just sort of laid plain the atrocities he committed and um, really spoke to the victims. Even one of the victims was able to return. Right. To, uh, to, well, two of the victims returned to their families. Um, and hopefully they're getting the help that they need to sort of go on. But yeah, we, we saw some justice um, from the Me Too movement. <laughs> uh, let's see, another moment I had was um, the pilot episode of Lovecraft Country. Oh, yes. Um, what, whatever you feel about that series, good or bad, that first episode was something unseen before on TV, at least for African-Americans. Yeah. Um, just right off the bat, the first 
five minutes, you're like, what, what is going on? And then by the end, you're, you're hooked. Um, so yeah, that definitely stands out for me this year. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, I'm trying to think of what else I have on here. What's we kind of hit at streaming and we always talk about how festivals move to home. That was a big thing though, how, you know, um, and I think you did that. You paid for a couple of festivals to yeah. do them at home. Yeah. Yeah film festivals and stuff, which I thought was great. I Going forward, I definitely think a virtual option should be offered to those. Yeah, whether, I agree. Whether COVID or not, you know, a lot of people lack access to a, to be able to attend those events. And I think it's going to be a future, a future option given how big streaming is becoming. Right. Um, let's see. I think just stuff that you can run off the top of your head. The election, obviously... Yeah. Uh, just the protest. There's, there's, there was so much that happened this year, and just mm-hmm. a grand scheme of things. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, the protests definitely feel like another time because yes, you don't, you do not hear anything about them anymore. I don't know no. if they're still going on, but yeah, that that quieted down quickly. Yeah. Um. We mentioned like Quibi, like they're sort of, they're just their unfortunate timing and then just being so adamant that you were going to work regardless of like all these sort of issues you're having before rollout. Um, It it didn't make sense. uh, 15 minutes, that's a YouTube video. I can just, yeah, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that was difficult. And then I guess you, uh, it sort of works, but like the the rise and the various growth of Facebook in general, just. Yeah, oh my goodness. Um, from, you know, from the election to um, their, their ability to just like collect information from different yeah. apps. Their issues with you know video game developers on the app store, other developers, their current issue with Facebook now, um, yeah, it's face Facebook's become like the enemy. Yeah, which is which is strange because, um, <clears throat> I guess it you know maybe shows our age a little bit, but remember when Facebook started and it was like the thing is like, oh you got Facebook give me up on Facebook find me oh just find me on Facebook and, you know it it brought the death of MySpace and now it's like Facebook needs to die it needs yeah. to be taken out back yeah. and MySpace only died because it was old-fashioned like yeah absolutely Facebook needs to die because it's literally causing too much havoc right and 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 it, it would take a little bit more but I got it I can't imagine Twitter is not too far behind Facebook. Yeah. 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 It's it's a different being, but it's it's equally problematic if you're not careful. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Any any other headlines for our uh, our cooler moments? I'm trying to think. I, I it's, it's maybe not a water cooler moment, but I think. Now, I don't use Twitter because I don't have an account, but from just seeing stuff, Twitter 
rose during this pandemic. It went back to Twitter of like 2011 when you would tune in to Beyond Scare Straight and all of Twitter was watching it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's been a, a peak year for Twitter because we've all been inside. Right. Um, yeah. You know, there was, people were watching TV collectively. Um, again, certain things collectively. The election. Right. Um, the somewhat sports we did receive. Just some uniting television, like The Last Dance. Right. Um, love, like Lovecraft Country shows that sort of brought people together. Right, right. Um, and then, of, of course, Black Twitter and joke and their jovial jokes, like everything yes. was getting... Getting roasted, right? Getting roasted or memed um, <laughs> from yeah. the December 20... <laughs> December 21st uh, yeah. thing about the powers to... It's just to the, uh, what was it? Nate Robinson boxing. Again, yeah, again, knocked out by uh, Jake Paul. Yeah, just Twitter definitely had a standout year this year just because yeah. we were so limited to what we could do and where we could, where we could go. Right. So. Yeah. All right. Um, 2020 was definitely crazy, but on to our more specific things and what we liked in 2020. Um, first up, our favorite or standout performances or performers of the okay. year, um, whether shows and films, just sort of like name some things off, maybe uh, people in some shows that are honorable mentions or anything like that. Okay. So how do you want to, do you want to just, we go one at a time or back and forth or? Uh, just, just read them off. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause I made just a list. I just have five. So yeah, I don't have that many either. Yeah. So for that, um, I had, uh, now I watched Mank, the David Fincher film and the standout person in that for me was Amanda Seyfried. She played the character that she was given, uh, very well. She was supposed to be the mistress and I can't remember the name for the life of me, but, um, that, that film, when you watch it, she's the one that sticks out. So I really enjoyed that. Um, I just watched, I don't know why I didn't put this in the other list, but Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Viola Davis. I mean, she always gives a good performance, but yeah, um, this one was, though everybody in that movie was incredible, but I think she really stuck out. Um, did you watch Fargo? I made it to like episode six, but I didn't finish it. Okay, so you saw Jesse Buckley, the nurse. Yes. Yeah, yeah, she was, boy, she was acting. She's crazy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I put her on the list. Uh, Hugh Jackman and Bad Education. Yeah, I forgot about that movie. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it came out, ooh, was that the summer? It I was like sometime. It, yeah, I can't, I feel like it was in August or something. But then my, my top performance, and this show got, it got, they did it dirty for not giving it anything, but it was um, Zoe Kazan from The Plot Against America. And she played, oh God, she played the wife. What, why? Oh, she played did it, Elizabeth. Yes. She played Herman's wife. So when um, just her character arc through the show, because she, she started off kind of, I guess, what do you say docile she was kind of in the not the background but she just went with what herman was saying but through the episode she was like look 
if he's going to keep screwing around, then I'm going to have to start controlling shit. And she did. And um, I really wish that show had been given more respect. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. All right. For mine, I've got a few. Um, you mentioned Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, kudos to both Viola and Chadwick Boseman um, yeah. for his final on-screen perf- performance. He he gave it his all. Yeah, chilling, chilling monologues and just electricity every time he was on screen. Right. Um, so definitely, he deserves everything for that. Um, I thought Glenn Truman was good in that as well, and Fargo. Um, yeah. Then I have Mamudu Afi. Um, he was in two of my favorite movies this year, Uncorked and Black Box. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. I know you're talking about. Yeah. I forgot Uncorked was this year, too. That was a Netflix film. Um, it just kind of showed his range really yeah. well, um, from a dramatic role to this sort of horror role in Black Box, which is on Amazon Prime. Uh, Regina Hall in Black Monday. I don't yeah. think she gets as much credit as she deserves. She's hilarious. Yeah, she she is. She's naturally hilarious. Yes, and her little happy birthday, her birthday. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's yeah. another high point of 2020. <laughs> um, like you said, Zoe Kazan for the plot against America. Yeah. Brilliant in that. And then finally, I had um, an Indian actor, Rondeep Huda, who was in Extraction, the Netflix film starring uh, Chris Hemsworth. He was a supporting character, but he, for for my first uh, time seeing him on screen, he really stole um, so every scene he was in. And there, I guess, are supposed to be making sequels of that. His okay. character. So, um, fortunately, I think his character dies in the movie. But I'd love to see a prequel about him or or something because his his character is really good. All right. Cool. Those are my cool. favorite standout performances of the year. Now we come, before we get to the best, we must discuss some of the worst things we watched oh God. this year. And as much as there is good in peak uh, <laughs> entertainment, there's a lot of bad. And sometimes even good stuff gets regulated down because there's so much um, good and bad. Yeah. So what was on your worst list, TV or film? Uh, mine was was pretty sure short, honestly. Um, I just have three things, but they stuck out for me because I despised them. Um, I'll start. The first thing was was Tiger King. I know the world loved that, and I watched it, and I was just like, I don't like this. Like, I didn't like any characters. I didn't care what actually happened. I was just, I was like, oh, something about it just turned me off. And then that's the first episode. Yeah, and then I think part of what made it worse is that you couldn't escape it it was they were talking about it on the news it was on everything there were jokes and memes it was just like oh my god um the, the second thing was um penny dreadful city of angels it was supposed to be a continuation of the first penny dreadful which was excellent and uh this one just it didn't live up to it 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 was bad and i i think you're the one that sent me a text saying that it had been canceled and i was I was happy like it deserved to be canceled um and then we just finished watching this and i was i was disappointed but the undoing i was just i was let yeah. down by the undoing i uh 
the commercials that we saw through the summer leading up to it, you know, had us thinking it was about to be, you know, earth shattering and it was very well. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, those those are my things that I did not like this year. Okay. Um my three let's see. We already discussed one woman eighty four, so I won't rehash that. Yeah. But um season three of the shy. Right. Um this is a show on Showtime. It's it did its best, but it was not a strong season, mainly because it lost its main character because of offset issues. Yeah. So they had to do a lot of rewriting, rearranging with the script and stuff like that. Um, it had potential, but in all, it just fell, fell kind of flat. Yeah. Um, and then Fatal Affair. Mm-hmm. And Netflix hyped us Negroes up with a movie with Mia Long and Omar Epps and giving the like fatal attraction tease and everything. And the movie was was just not it. Like they didn't yeah. have an affair. They made out in a club bathroom and after that he was obsessed. So it was just another, I guess check in the bank for them yeah but it definitely definitely fell flat and it really it it proves the danger of representation representation because i'm pretty sure this film was not written with black people in mind they just slapped some right. black people near the end yeah. to sort of prop out you know the diversity thing so right right so that was another thing and just off the top of my head, I know I watched it, but I was sort of like underwhelmed. Was um, if I can find it, the HBO docuseries "Atlantis Missing and Murdered" about yeah children murders back in the seventies and early eighties. Damn, I it, forgot we watched that. Yeah, it it just it started pretty strong and then sort of teetered. Right teetered off so that was sort of disappointing i think that was my my list for worse stuff yeah i completely forgot about that yeah mm-hmm. all right now it's come to our best we will both list our top five in film and tv um before we do that any honorable mentions for which one do you want to do first tv or film uh we'll start with tv Okay, so any honorable mentions, go ahead and mention them now, and then um, we'll we'll both mention honorable mentions and start with five, four, three, two, one. Yeah. Okay, so um, my honorable mentions for this one, this was tough, but Westworld season three, it was it was so good, but um, it wasn't as good as the first, like the first two. So it got an honorable mention. Um, the third day. Mm got honorable mention just because i was confused for about 60 percent of it but it was still good and then this one was the toughest one because i i couldn't figure out where to fit it but the outsider yeah and um it was it was so good and it was it slowly uh it slowly built up to one of the best climax climaxes in tv i've seen in a while so i totally forgot that happened this year as well. yeah yeah <laughs> oh my gosh it's, oh okay. and then 
oh my bad my brilliant friend on hbo as well that's the italian show i'm obsessed with that show so yeah Okay, my honorable mentions, I'm gonna kind of run through them. I had a tough time with this top 10 because I watched so much and then I remembered stuff and whatnot. But right. um, Never Have I Ever on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Um, a breakthrough performance from the a new new uh, star there. Funny show. Uh, Netflix is Giri Haji, which is mm. uh, Duty Shame in Japanese. It was a legal thriller drama that was pretty good. Uh, Tehran on Apple TV, yeah, a limited series, only eight episodes. Um, something totally different that I may not have watched before that involved um, like an Israeli spy in yeah. Iran. Really good. Um, Industry, um, yeah, HBO Max new series. It came out a little, little early for me to put in the top ten, and then Murder on Middle Beach. Um, mm was like my 11th pick so yeah. and that was so much better than what i thought it was going to be yeah for four episodes it packed a wall up yeah all right so let's go with our uh top five <clears throat> yeah. all right so you want to go back and forth or do you want to back and forth is fine yeah okay yeah you can okay. go ahead and start okay my number five is i don't know why i did that Okay, my number five is uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Yes. Um, I did not know what to expect from this. I had sort of followed um, the news coverage of, you know, the the hunt for um, the Golden State Killer um, and sort of knew about the circumstances that befell Michelle McNamara shortly afterwards or shortly before. But... um, I had no expectations on what what this was going to encompass, and it was beautifully done. A very um, somber yet strong tribute to the woman and the work that Michelle did, and the woman that she was, yeah. and also just like a excellent um, excellent expose on on that time and just the pervasive culture that women sort of experience in right. America, um, whether it's, yeah, just just in general, because cause they, they were sh- shorthanded either way, like in the workplace, right. as, you know, survivors of assault, just just every turn. So it, w- it was just a wonderful piece of television this year. All right. All right. Uh, my number five, my number, my fifth pick is from Netflix. And it was the um, mini series Unorthodox, um, and this is the one that follows the uh, young woman who's in a. Uh, uh, she's she's like in a. I think it's a Hasidic community, or no, just a, the ultra orthodox community in New York, and she um, she wants out of it. She's she's about to get married, and really get into the Hasidic life, and. Uh, she finds her way out. She travels to Berlin and it's really good. It's only four episodes, but it just kind of follows her, um, her path and her journey of trying to figure out who she, who she is and who she wants to be. And I believe this was nominated for, she, but she, I can't remember if this show or the actress was nominated for 
it was the actress. She was nominated for a yeah. uh, yes, a Golden Globe. I want to say it was the Emmys. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was the Emmys. Yeah. But um, yeah, and she was up against big names. But yeah, that was that was incredible. It was really good. I kind of like you said. I didn't know what to expect going in. I thought it was just going to be kind of like a um, not not like a a young adult novelish type thing, but just kind of lighter than what it was. Mm-hmm. But it was it it was pretty heavy. So okay, yeah. My fourth pick is Disney Plus's The Mandalorian. <laughs> um, this was the second season of the, sh- of the series, and it, it improved upon the first season. As someone who is a casual Star Wars person, like I haven't seen a film until The Force Awakens all the way through. Yeah. Um, it was it's brilliant. And a lot of people say they really breathed new life into uh franchise that's really struggled to define its footing between like introducing new characters and new voices but still um captivating like veteran fans of the of the the material so right and the Lauren sort of found that balance um Pedro Pascal was excellent again um the the spinoffs it's it's announced um is going to keep the momentum going and we can't wait to see what season three looks like so yeah i'd I'd always see good stuff about that just how much people enjoy it so yeah all right my fourth thing and this goes back to my point of twitter i once again don't have a twitter account so i was you know hopping on what i would do is i would go to like my favorite soccer team's site chelsea i would go their twitter account and then i'd see the, the trending stuff and then I'd click on the hashtag and just follow it that way. But it was um, The Last Dance from ESPN. And um, mm. when this was on, man, everybody it seemed like everybody was watching it. And I think what was so good about it was that Michael Jordan has been retired for, what, almost 20 years? Probably. Uh, yeah. He, he retired in like 2000 and mid-2000s or something. So it, it's more been more than a decade. And you think you know everything there's to know about the the Bulls and their run to the championships and what they were and and and, and Michael Jordan himself and um, there's just so much information, so much uh, so much that you learned from this and it was funny and it was deep, it was personal, it was yeah. and it was it was kind of fun to experience that as a like you know I I have friends call me like hey bro did you watch the Last Dance I was like yeah man I caught it. So yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was it was good, like must see event TV again. Right, right. Um, we're up to number three. Three. Okay, I can't count. <laughs> oh shoot, I started on my number four. Dang it. Okay, well. <laughs> so my number four was Out in the Dark. My number three was Mandalorian. My number five was Rami on Hulu. Um, oh, okay. Season two of Rami. I actually hadn't finished season one, so I I binged all of that, and then I got caught up on season two. What an excellent um, series highlighting uh, a a voice we normally don't see on screen at right. all in um, a Muslim character in America. Um, he touched on everything from uh, you know sexism 
you know, in, in his religion and in society in general, the homophobia to right. um, bigotry, um, just what to, to people with disabilities. Um, it was just an excellent, it's an excellent show. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, this is where it got hard for me for these final three. All, all, I say is, all I'll say is that all three are HBO, but number three for me was Lovecraft Country. And um, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about, I knew HP Lovecraft and who he was, but once again, you were the one to tell me about this book and then this show itself. And um, yeah, it just blew me away, man. Everybody was good. I love a show with a good villain and um, Abby Kershaw, who plays Christine. Was her name Christina or Christine? Christina. Yeah, Christina. She was good in it. Um, you know, uh, just everybody. And it was it, it was good to see Black people going on adventures. I mean, because you, like you said, we, we've had, you know, Tomb Raider. We've had uh, Indiana Jones hell you can go through the national treasure movies with Nicolas Cage and it's just it's like wow okay there's there's a whole show with about eight of us you know going on adventures and solving these problems and it was good really good yeah okay so my number two (laughs) um is the good lord bird um starring Ethan Hawke and introducing Producing, I want to get his name right. I think it's Caleb Joshua Johnson, mm. if I'm not mistaken. But um, based, yeah, Caleb Joshua Caleb Johnson. There we go. Um, based on the book by James McBride, it's like a historical fictional series uh, account of John Brown and his attack on Harper's Ferry. And it was just something unlike anything I was seeing on TV at the time. Um, Definitely didn't get the amount of eyes I think they wanted to, but um, it's worth the watch. Hawk is incredible as John Brown. Um, Just just the sort of the campiness of his performance, but it's so grounded. it was just amazing and just the way it forced you to really look at you know the history of this country and the way we sort of pacify certain things and brush over them and make them more difficult than they need to be when the truth is like you know slavery was wrong the way this country treated black people and people of color in general is wrong and frankly if we could we would just kill all the racists but you know that's frowned upon so um yeah it was a, a stirring series i advise everyone to tune in yeah it was really good all right um wait a second you said number two yeah yeah um okay my number two show surprisingly it, it was somehow heavier than my number one show but my number two show is i know this much is true mm-hmm. and uh whew, this you this watching this week in and week out you had to find a way to decompress like you had to step outside and get a cigarette because this was heavy I, I mean and it was an hour of them just kind of beating you over the head with really bleak stuff but 
it was also really good. And this was, you know, Mark Ruffalo playing two characters, one of them who had, uh, I think he had schizophrenia. His, his brother had schizophrenia and um, just him dealing with his own personal life, him dealing with his brother's life, um, the, this racism that they had in their town. And um, it, it, was, it was so much, it, it really tied together well at the end, how everybody was connected and um, how things kind of found some sort of, I guess you can say peace, but it was, it was well done. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was really well done. Really heavy, but really well done. Right. Uh, so that brings us to our number one for top TV. My number one show is another HBO series. I don't care what anyone says, streaming or not, HBO knows TV. Like, yes. yes. It's just the way they've been sort of been able to still stand out in all of these um, new platforms and everything. Uh, My number one is Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You. Hands down, my favorite and one of the best, if not the best uh, piece of TV this year. Um, There's been a lot of shows that have sort of tackled the Me Too sort of discussion, whether um, Netflix Unbelievable or, you know, your favorite show having that narrative woven in their season right. um, but I don't think anyone really touched the the topic and the complexity of it like I May Destroy You Yeah, it, it was able to sort of not place blame on any one person but just sort of lay out how society has made all of us culpable in in that right. culture and in that harm in that harm toward you know women and men um, right, right. especially um, of color. Um, and this was all based on her experience as a sexual assault survivor. So yeah. it was coming from a real place. Um, and it, w- it was just, everything was funny. It was dark. It was um, heartfelt. Um, she definitely deserves this award season. Yeah. Yeah. I hope she's around for a long time creating stuff because, you know, to create what she does, obviously she pulls from her real life, but it it has to take so much out of her because even chewing gum, which was funny, it was still very personal. Like, you know, you could tell that stuff came from somewhere true. And so, yeah, she's good. She's, whenever they mention, you know, uh, any any of these writers they've, they've got to put her name in the, in the conversation as well yeah so all right um my first show of the year is i'll be gone in the dark um i'm not a super true crime junkie but like you said the way this was crafted and how we learned more about the city in uh, california and the country at the time that this was happening and how we learned about what what I don't like about true crime is that the victims are bodies. They are numbers. They are corpses. They are mm-hmm. they are torture porn, and these women survived atrocities. And we learned about their lives, who they were before it happened, who they are now, how it affected their families, how it affected their jobs, and that was it was. And then 
that was kind of tough to go through because, you know, um, for you had to sit there and imagine at the time this was happening, he hadn't been caught yet. So it's just like, you know, it, it was it was wild, but um, it it just I think one thing I I kept thinking through the show was just it would almost seem it sounds bad, but it almost seemed lucky to come together that she had all this information in these notes and she just constantly recorded stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I said it while we were watching it that, and I gotta hate saying this, but I don't think the show would have had the same effect if she had been alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like obviously her family and everybody probably wishes she were alive, but I think that's what kind of made it, it hit harder is that she never got to see her work um, do what she intended it to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think the show would have been very different because at first, even when the news broke, they weren't giving her much credit no, for, no. for what she had done and what she yeah. was doing. So her, her, her passing sort of brought light to the actual work. Right. Absolutely. The weird way that she, that she was doing and right. sort of forced people to pay attention. Right. So yeah, it was a good show. That was my number one. Right. We'll now transition to our top five films. Yes. Um, first up, any honorable mentions that didn't make our list? Uh, yeah, I have three. Um, the Vast of Night. That's the movie I spoke about a few weeks ago, where it's set in the fifties. There's a switchboard operator who. Um, kind of is friends with the radio personality and they kind of track the story of aliens visiting their small town um, over time and it's really good it kind of destroys all the alien movie tropes um, and is is really good I like that um, Shirley about the author Shirley Jackson starring Elizabeth Moss and then Swallow about the woman that was pregnant and we learn about her trauma from her past. So, yeah, those were my three. Okay. Um, my three were um, Muzzle on mm, Netflix, yes. um, a true story about a SWAT team that sort of took out ISIS yeah. um, in Iraq, if I'm not mistaken. Um, really, really... I'm not big on war films because here they're very, very much about just the violence. <laughs> yeah. But but this sort of had a purpose and was really heartfelt. Um, next, I totally forgot this movie came out and I really enjoyed it, was Birds of Prey. Um, oh, okay. That was earlier this year. One of the few DC films that I really enjoyed um, yeah. with Margaret Robbie um, in, a, in a full, a really fun cast. And then um, uh, Bad Boys for Life was oh, another, oh, wow. another standout. Yeah, I had seen that um, for a while. It was the highest grossing film of the year because um, because nothing else was coming out. But it was a big hit, and it's getting a sequel, so there will be a fourth film eventually. Oh, I forgot all about that. Yeah, so those are my honorable um, mentions. <clears throat> Excuse me. So let's see. Uh, my number five. Let me make sure I count right. <laughs> okay. Jeez. 
Uh, my number five film of the year was uh, any film that released on Netflix is Residue by, I don't want to mispronounce his name, but he's a DC native. Um, and the film is about uh, a young filmmaker who comes back from uh, living in California, back to his hometown in DC to sort of do a film about the people there. And he's um, sort of taken aback about, taken back by the gentrification that sort of changed, has changed his neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and it's it's done really well. This was Mariah Girma, I'm probably saying that wrong, his first feature film. His father was a, a famous filmmaker as well. Okay. So he was a director and wrote the screenplay. Um, and it just feels very authentic. Um, I think a lot of the actors are even just local actors in the DC area that he chose. Um, and it was uh, marketed by Array, I believe, from Ava DuVernay's production company. So um, that was my number five. All right. Okay, my number five, and this came out literally not too long ago, but it was um, Lover's Rock, part of the small axe thing with uh, Steve McQueen. Mm-hmm. And this just kind of, I think what I liked about this was just, it was like a, it was just the vibe of it, just kind of the, I'm trying to think of the word. Um, it, it, it kind of focuses around like a house party, like a reggae house party and, and the world around these people is not good for them for West Indians and in the UK at this time. But you see all these black people enjoying themselves and, um, just kind of living life and it, it's really good. I, I really enjoyed it. And Steve McQueen seems to just make stuff like, I swear, like every decade, like he disappears and he comes back and he drops something. But um, I really, I really, really enjoyed this and um, kind of had a, a lasting impression on me from, from the jump. So that is my number five. All right. Number four, um, I was able to screen um, Regina King's directorial debut, One Night in Miami. Mm. This film is really a tour de force in acting from um, all the uh, main characters, main cast. Based on a play uh, adapted by Kent Powers, the same um, man who help write soul, Disney's soul. Um, it imagines a night in Miami um, with Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown. Um, sort of like the precipice for each of them in their careers. And Jim Brown's um, thinking about leaving football for Hollywood. Uh, Sam Cooke is sort of at a crossroads with his music. Um, Muhammad Ali, well, Cassius Clay, as he was then, is about to announce his conversion to Islam. Yeah. And Malcolm is ready to announce his departure from the Nation of Islam. So this was like a year before his assassination. Um, It tackles a lot of conversations we're having today about Black Americans and Black liberation and and what that looks like and how did we get there. So it is a really, really powerful film. Yeah. yeah, I've heard a lot. I've seen that kind of mentioned in conversations for awards. So, yeah, it's, it's really done really well. 
All right. Uh, my number four is The Invisible Man. This is with Elizabeth Moss, Aldous Hodge, and um, this follows a woman who is in an abusive relationship with her husband, who is a, a scientist of some sort, and um, he becomes invisible. And, uh, you know, you. When, I think when you see the trailer and you think of the Invisible Man as we know it, that, that like, oldie super, no, he wasn't a superhero, but, you know, like the original Invisible Man, mm-hmm. that's kind of what you get in your head and think that this is going to be. But this is this is really kind of a, a study about the effects of abuse and, you know, how they're ever present. You don't escape it, you know. Um, it's constantly there with you. And uh, it's just a really good film. And Elizabeth Moss, man, she she doesn't do anything half-assed. You know, it, I... Right, she can be a scientist, Scientologist all she wants. That's that's her choice. But man, when she acts, when she gets a role, she she goes um a hundred and ten percent. And uh this is really good. It actually was in theaters and I didn't get to see it in theaters and uh it, it came out right before uh March. I think it was February. Yeah, you saw this. That's why I remember it was in theaters. Yeah. Yeah. And then um yeah. And that was it. But yeah, I saw it on Comcast. And uh yeah, no, it was good. It was it's it's an intense watch. Not so much scary, just kind of like tense. Very tense. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, the Invisible Man's my actually my number three. So oh, okay. it it was the last film I saw in theaters before everything shut down. And yeah, I do agree. It's it's definitely centers the uh just like the ever present uh feeling of of the ever present feelings that abuse levels on the person like the anxiety the the fear of just everything like being touched noises right, right. just just that unprecedented panic it captured it so well um um, a standout performance from Elizabeth Moss, just like, you're right, she can act in anything. Um, and she was wonderful in that. So yeah, that's yeah. my three. Okay. Um, okay, my bad. Blanked out right there. I was looking <laughs> at my number three. I just went blank. Um, the number three for me um, was The Assistant. And this is with Julia Garner. And she is, it, it's it's kind of a, I wouldn't say it's the first Me Too movie, but maybe the first one to hit theaters, I think, because the other ones went streaming, if I'm not mistaken. But anyways, she's an assistant um, at a film production. This is kind of supposed to be uh, straight out, like about Harvey Weinstein type thing. And uh, she herself isn't necessarily getting harassed but she knows that her boss is having sexual relationships with a lot of younger women there and there's just a culture of sexual harassment at the company and nobody speaks up and i think what is really interesting about this is that the film is the is it's just one day it's this isn't something that oh wow yeah yeah it just so it kind of has been happening but we see her at work 
we see her getting chewed out by a supervisor type thing and her male colleagues not saying anything. She talks to her mother and, you know, because of what she's going through, the long hours and everything, she's forgot to call her father for his birthday. And it just kind of, once again, just like the visible man kind of shows you how mistreatment um, screws up, you know, everything in your life, you know, it just doesn't affect that one area. It starts to seep into other parts and um, yeah. So it, it's really good. It's, it's, it's kind of a tough watch um, because, because of Julia Garner's uh, performance, she's supposed to be like a young college grad. So this is kind of her first job fresh out of college. And, uh, but yeah, it's really good. And she's a good actress. She's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely enjoyed that. All right. My number two is another film I was able to see courtesy of a virtual film festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve. <clears throat> oh, shoot. I don't mess up the name. Hold on a second. Heck on it. Yeah, the film's Minyari. Oh, uh, with Steve. Is it Yoon? Is that how you pronounce Steve it? Steve Yoon. Yeah. yeah. Um, directed and written by Lee Isaac Chung. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is uh, a film about a Korean American family um, who moved from South California to the middle of Arkansas because the father is prepared to um, raise um, start his own farm so he can sell produce directly to grocery stores and stuff like that instead of being sort of like the third party as they were in California. And it's um, mostly based on uh, Chung's own childhood of moving to Arkansas with with his family for that reason. Um, Mm -hmm. A really beautiful film, standout performances by uh, Alan S. Kim who plays the little old boy and then Yoon Yun Jun who plays the grandmother um, she, she definitely deserves some supporting actress nods, but beautiful film. Um, and it's sort of getting a little pushback now because um, the Golden Globes won't allow it to run as the best film category. Once oh, it's wow. the foreign film category because some of the lines are spoken in Korean, even though yeah. the director is American. It was uh, produced by American company uh, A24 and Plan B. So, yeah. All right. But definitely catch it when it comes out. Yeah, for sure. All right, number two. My second film is First Cow. And this movie came out in March, I believe. And uh, this movie follows um, two men, uh, one who goes by the name Cookie, and then there's a man named King Lou. And they, uh, Cookie is like a chef, and this takes place in 1820s, so just imagine American 1820s. Uh, he's a chef for like a group of fur traders who's moving across like the Oregon country at that time, that big area. And um, then King Lu is a Chinese immigrant, just kind of looking for money. He's on the run from some people, but they become friends in the most unlikely way. There's a cow that gets brought to the territory. And at night they sneak in and milk the cow and make biscuits and make like fried sugar, biscuits and they sell them and they make a lot of money and um 
yeah, they make this bond selling these things and they live in hard times. But, you know, is this movie is just about friendship and how you can find it in the most unlikely places. And uh, it, it's really good. It's touching. Um, I, whenever there's a movie about animals, I had to make sure that the animals come out all right. And nothing <laughs> happens to nothing happens to the cow. The cow is fine at the end of the movie. But um, but no, it, it's really good. And I think it's been mentioned in some conversations for awards. So we'll see how it does. But um, I think it won some awards, um, awards at the, uh, like the film festival circuit, like in Berlin yeah. and stuff. So but yeah, it, it was really good. All right. Yeah, I've heard a lot about it being yeah. really good in the award discussion. All yeah. right. My number one film of the year, um, I have to give it to Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. Ah, uh, yes. Um, amazing, amazing film. Signature Spike Lee material uh, centering on, you know, the Vietnam War, um, which sort of refocuses even the politics that are happening now. Um, just centering Black men being, yeah. you know, vulnerable being rightfully angry, you know, um, just just being themselves um, in a film that deals with sort of race and societal issues, but isn't like the trauma porn that we usually get um, right. with these stories. Wonderful performance from Delroy Lindo, who is definitely at the top of the list for Oscar contention. Um, his monologues, near the end of the film alone as his character is sort of like unraveling. Mm. Um, just just beautiful. Again, one of Chadwick's last performances on screen. Uh, you had John the Majors, you had Clark Peters. Um, just a wonderful cast in general. Um, yeah, so by, The Five Bloods is my number one film for 2020. Yeah. Um, uh, when I was looking just a when I made these lists, I like went back and try to see big lists of like best shows of the years and it would jumpstart my mind. But, oh yeah, that's right. I watched this and I kept seeing Delroy Lindo's name. I kept seeing his name and everything just pop up for like best performance and possible nominees and all that. So I'll, I'll have to check that out. I, I still haven't. So it's so good. Yeah, and I, sure. I honestly think it was better than black Klansman. Cause like, oh, wow. As good that as that was, I wasn't as blown away right. by it. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, my final pick, my number one film of the year, is the movie Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. And um, this movie was also in the film circuit for a little bit. And uh, it, it follows a, a young teenage girl who gets pregnant. And in her little area, she can't get an abortion. So she travels with her cousin to New York City to to do that. And this just follows her on that path in the city and uh, going to the Planned Parenthood, going through the procedure, how they get money um, before they leave the city, their interaction with just the different people. Um, uh, you, you get a little bit about the guy they, I guess we're supposed to assume got her pregnant. Um, she has kind of a weird boss, but through it all, her cousin kind of sticks by her side and they, they stick it out. But one thing that sticks out in this movie is that there's not a lot of talking. 
but so much is said through actions and looks and 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 all that and that's what kind of makes it a tough but um but it is really good and it's timely you know abortion is always what it always seems to be you know in conversation rightfully so but um but yeah it was really good and it it was one of those things was like a super small movie i think the budget was less than like five million dollars but yeah it keeps popping up in conversations and the director of this if i'm not mistaken she i can't remember what else she directed but um she's got a couple other films out that have have done well in, in recent years so she went to iu that's one thing i know oh yeah <laughs> okay yeah so. all right well those are our top 10 lists of our favorite uh tv and film of 2020 and that's our recap of the year before we get out of here is there anything you're streaming this final well this first weekend of 2021 we'll say that um the only thing i'm looking forward to is um doctor who you know i'm talking about the show that comes on like bbc america the time traveling show yeah they always do a special at this time of the year to kick off the new season and that airs sunday i believe so that's really it for me all that i'm looking forward to okay um i've got uh season two of transformers war for cybertron that drops tomorrow and i did not know this but promising young woman starring carrie mulligan did come to theaters here so i may venture and see that um friday i'm pretty sure theater has like limited hours just given the circumstances so i think i'll try to go see that but we'll see you you may be in the clear with that i mean you think you've got a smaller city so i'm not sure how many people actually go and see exactly. that. and then we have like limited hours so yeah, yeah it might be pretty safe mm-hmm. all right um as always you can follow us on socials at as life podcast on almost all social platforms um you can get more content content at streamablelife.wordpress.com and we will be here again next wednesday so go ahead and like subscribe um and review us on apple podcasts And we'll uh, get back to you within a week. Yeah. See you in the new year. Right. Yes. We'll see you in the new year. And as always, keep on streaming. Peace. Thank you for listening to another edition of It's a Streamable Life. If you like what you hear, rate, review, subscribe, and share our podcast on Apple Podcasts and all other major platforms. And for more content, follow us on our socials at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at AS Life Podcast.